0: Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today.
1: so good to have you here this morning. We look forward to catching up with you after the service as well. I don't know about you, but I have felt like this week we have just like hit the ground running. And I'm on a mat leave, so hit the ground running is like, you're like, really? Like, what are you even doing? (laughs) But I think like a lot of us can kind of relate that this back to school, this back to schedules. A lot of you have jumped into different programs that we have going on here at the church and it kind of has just felt like Monday came and we're kind of sprinting ahead. Um, But what I like about this little time that we have here this morning is that I get to encourage you, I get to challenge you, and this morning I just want to share a little bit about the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, of quiet, of solitude, time with God. Um, I read a quote this week that said, if you're not well rested, you can't rest well. And it kind of struck me in in terms of this busyness and getting back into things that when we want to prioritize our time with Jesus, which I know a lot of you that could have been one of your resolutions that you decided to make this year, Um, that you want to be more intentional with your, maybe it's jumping into a Bible study or your devotional life, or a lot of you have joined our reading the Bible in a year program that we started on the first. But if you're not well-rested, it's really hard to have that restful time with Jesus. It's hard to sit and be present in his presence, to hear his voice when we have a million other things going through our head, and we're thinking about our schedule, and our to-do list, and our groceries, and all the things that pile up. And so I really encourage you as we move on into our time of um, where we're going to hear the word, and then worship, and then as you move on and get about your Sunday, and start thinking about the week, to really be intentional with how you plan out your rest this week. Be well rested so that you can hear the word of God, and receive from him what he has for you. At this time, we're going to take our tithes and offerings. If this is your first Sunday here, we're not asking for your money. This is just a practice that that we take part of in, in giving our tithes to the Lord, and so I'm going to invite the ushers up, and we're going to pray over our tithes and offerings. Would you join me? Lord God, we thank you for this time that we have to gather, and we thank you that you are the provider of all things, that you have blessed us with an abundance. Um, we just pray that you would bless our, our tithes and offerings here this morning, um, that we would just see your, your goodness and your blessings unfold. In your name we pray. Amen. I have a few announcements for you this morning. The first one concerning small groups. We had a few small groups meet already this week. Um, I got to take part in one on Tuesday night and uh, I felt really um, encouraged by it and, so, and I'm looking forward to meeting again. Um, we have a few opportunities to jump in still. I know um, the one I'm in on Tuesday nights is at capacity at the time. Uh, I can't speak for Matt on Thursday nights. Uh, oh, still room in our townhouse oh, okay so there's still room maybe bring your own chair I'm not sure where you're gonna sit but if you are a man and you are looking to uh, learn more about prayer and the practice of prayer that could be a Bible study that you can talk to Matt at the back Um, there is also Pat and Terry are leading a Bible study on Thursday nights at 7 I encourage you to talk to them if you want to find out more information Alpha is running at the house on Tuesday nights, um, so if you want to get involved with Alpha, um, with all of these things I encourage you to reach out to Jen, our administrator, she can direct you in the right place or email info at nrchurch.ca if you want to find out more information or get involved. And then finally, I know our Thursday Bible study that meets here at the church will be resuming soon. There will be more information to come. And the beauty of that study is that you don't need to commit to a certain amount of weeks. You can just show up on a Thursday night, 7 p.m. here. And if you want to show up once, if you want to show up consistently, there's no flow to it in that way. Um, And so it really is something for for everyone. So that that date will come shortly. So stay tuned. And then last announcement is that we are seeing our AGM in sight. And if you have been at Northridge long enough and you are ready to become a member and you want to kind of, as we call it, put a ring on it, um, you are welcome to fill out the page on our website under membership. And that will give you all the information that you need to become a member. um, And then you are able to vote at our AGM. I know that's really enticing, but it is is something that uh, you get to do. So there you go. Oh, there you go. You can talk to Ryan if you want more information on that. (laughs) Uh, We have a special guest speaker this morning, and so I am looking forward to inviting Mark up to speak. But before I do so, I want to release our grade 5 to 12s to their classes. If you're not sure where to go, you can follow the horde of kids heading towards the door. And Mark, you are welcome to come on up.
0: Is this okay to put this up here? I'm, um, and I can still be seen by everybody. Hi, good morning. Wow, what a what a privilege it is to be up here today. Um, really grateful for the trust that that David has put in me. It is difficult for a pastor to say, Hey, sure, go ahead and and take the pulpit on a Sunday. That's a that's a tricky thing. So. Appreciate that, David. And, and for those of you who are here, I appreciate that. If you didn't know I was speaking today, I still appreciate the fact that you're trusting me enough to stick around here. So uh, some of you might know a little bit of my, my story. You're used to seeing me up there. Um, and it's funny because the community at Northridge doesn't know me as a teaching pastor, which is what I have been for uh, the better part of a decade. Um, but in the summer of 2022, I experienced a really serious mental health crisis. And I I crashed and burned. I burned out completely. Not a a fun experience, right? Because it feels in that moment like everything you know is gone. And everything you trusted is gone. And everything you thought you knew about yourself is gone. It felt like my identity had been stripped away. Like I kind of had nothing left. The past 18 months, and, and believe me when I say that, when I first said I was taking leave, Steph and I were like, okay, like, maybe this will be the summer. Maybe it'll, you know, take a couple months, maybe three at the most, and then we'll be back. So 18 months later, and I'm still on the journey to recovery. But it's been this profound experience of God's grace and restoration in my life. And, and man, it has been so terrible to have to go through. But the only thing that could have gotten me to the place where I am right now. So uh, it's hard to sum up other than that, other than to say, wow, I, I don't know what God has for me next. I, I'm not sure what's next in my life, ministry-wise, vocation-wise, all of those things. Um, whatever it is, though, I feel like I'm prepared for it, which is something I couldn't say even six months ago, so... There have been some there are some parts about being a pastor that um I don't miss, frankly. Um But <laughs> you laugh because you were at the church I pastored, that's why. Um But the one thing I really, really, really miss is this. Man, do I miss this. I miss being able to bring the word to the people of God. It's something that I have Struggled to, to not do. There have been times, especially on the first Easter when I wasn't preaching an Easter service, I, I was like, I'm going to charge the stage. I'm going to grab the mic. I'm going to say something. But I was like, Mark, you're new here. So maybe you don't do that, right? But the, the thing is that people that ask me today, like, how do you feel about today? And, and the truth is that I feel a little bit, my emotions are mixed, right? Because the last time I did this was pretty much exactly a year ago. The second sunday of january 2023 and that day was the last ever service at the church i pastored for just about seven years um so it feels different to be in this place in a church that's in a different position a different spot recontextualizing so okay that's all you need to know about me. I have a ton of stuff to get through, so let's let's dive in, shall we? So this this sermon series in First Peter is called a Living Hope. Today we're going to be looking at First Peter 13 to two ten. It's a pretty significant chunk of text, which is why there's a lot to get through. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that and and turn there with me. The words are also going to be up on the screen. Um, while you're doing that, I'm just going to give a quick recap here. So last week we looked at the first twelve verses of the letter First Peter, and we saw that this living hope that we have is jesus so because of what jesus has done we have this sure and certain hope and it'll carry us through whatever trials we face that living hope in jesus is sufficient to to pull us through them but the funny thing is that that's not the end of the letter right the letter is more than 12 verses long and the reason is because knowing that you have a living hope is a very, very good thing. But but we can't stop there, right? Because the thing about the gospel is that it's not about information, it's about transformation. We have a living hope in Jesus, so what? What's that hope doing in us other than to be like, I feel good about that? that's great what else what is the result about us knowing of that hope how does it transform us and what is it transforming us into so that's the question Peter's going to answer actually in the rest of this letter and he starts today with the first part of the answer so let's look at the text together now now here's where this is There's a couple of things about doing this that are weird for me. First of all, I'm just going to confess, I've never used a flat top pulpit before. This is confusing me deeply. The other thing is, I've, I've never held a mic and preached. So uh, the, the dilemma I'm having right now, gang, is I would love to pick up my Bible and read it like this. I'm really worried about it flopping closed. You're getting the inner monologue of an ADHD brain. This is what's happening here. So... I'm going to not awkwardly leave it here. And we're going to read the text together, so let's do it. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, we're going to chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, he says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's pray together. Father, the the word that you have given to us is, is the means by which you will encourage us and you will strengthen us. And as we dive into this, as we examine what it is you have to say, God, may our hearts be open. And in humility, we accept From you holy spirit whatever it is you have for us today and we pray like i've said earlier we we pray for not just a filling of a cup of information but we invite you to do your work of transformation in us this morning in jesus name amen let's go through bit by bit here right so so peter starts with this word therefore Um, he's drawing this logical inference to what came before so the hope we have in Jesus, he says, leads to a response. And in this case, the response he says, so, so prepare your minds for action and being sober minded, doing those things, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And so this is part of the hope of the gospel here. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And he will establish an eternal kingdom, and it's predicated on his righteousness. And in that kingdom, there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more tears for those who have repented of their sin and turned to him for salvation. And so we know this is going to happen because we read it in Scripture, and it's very clear. The thing is, sometimes we lose sight of this, right? I lose sight of it often when I'm just going through the grind, man. I'm, I'm, I'm grinding out my day-to-day life. I'm trying to figure out who's driving which kid to where and, and how we're going to make sure that the cars don't freeze and all of those things. That's a weird thing to have to think about here. Anyway, um, there's a lot of stuff that's on our brains, and we kind of lose sight of the fact that there's a coming eternal kingdom. And the thing is that we, we can lose sight of that for a moment, but please don't ever lose sight of it entirely because it has to f- inform your hope. It has to. And so the eternal hope that we have gives us hope in the present. Because we need to live in light of what is true. There is a better kingdom coming. And so knowing that, as Peter says, what we do is we we prepare our minds for action. And I I have to pause here for a minute because, man, do I love this this idiom that he uses in the Greek here. So the Greek text actually says, this is way better, girding up the loins of your mind, okay? David and I were talking about this when we were breaking down 1 Peter, and he was like, I I said how excited I was to talk about girding loins. And I don't think he knew why I was excited about that, but here's why. Okay, I love this. The reference here is to first century clothing. So in the first century, you wore this, this, this shirt uh, against your body. You had a, a cloak over top of it. You had a belt that you, you had some sandals and stuff like that, right? So if you have this very long flowing garment and you want to do something like, I don't know, run somewhere, well you're going to trip over it if you run, right? So what you do is you grab it, you fold it up, you tuck it into your belt, and then you're ready. This is girding your loins, it's awesome (laughs) I will not demonstrate the Chris Farley motivational speaker thing kind of comes to mind right anyway that's girding your loins you're welcome because anytime you read that in scripture now you're gonna have that image in your brain so delightful so the idea here anyway is that this living hope we have in Jesus means we can live with this sense of eager expectation, right? We're we're ready. We're ready for what he's bringing. We're ready for what's coming. Jesus is coming back, so we're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to set my hope uh, on that truth, and I'm going to be spiritually, and I'm going to be mentally ready for action. So what action? We're prepared. We're ready. Here we go. The hope we have leads to transformation in our lives. What is that transformation? Very simple. Verses 14 through 16 of of chapter 1 there. We are to be holy. Our living hope in Jesus, the transformation it brings about in our lives, is our ability to pursue holiness. So I have a question for you. What does that mean? It is really important that we get this definition right. It's critical because if we don't get it right, then we're gonna start going in the wrong direction. We're gonna end up very miserable, frankly. So so what does it mean to be holy? The clue here is this Old Testament quote Peter uses from Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. You can think of that as you shall be holy as I am holy. You shall be holy like I am holy. We're to follow the example of God who is holy. So what does it mean that God is holy? It's actually a lot simpler than you think. There are two elements to it. God is holy in that he is separated from sin. And in that, he pursues his own glory. That's what it means that God is holy. And the last part there might sound a little bit egotistical, right? God exists to give glory to himself. That would be egotistical if we applied it to a human being. But with God, it's different. Because the difference between God and any human is that God actually deserves that glory. He deserves it. It is true he deserves to be honored. He deserves to be glorified above all things because of who he is. God seeks his own glory because he deserves it. And so for him to live in a way that didn't seek his own glory would be for him to live outside of the truth. And he can't do that. So when God calls us to be holy, he's calling us to do those same, same things. Separate ourselves from sin and commit ourselves to seeking his glory. Simple. Not easy. That's why I have a whole sermon on it. But before we, before we go any further, I just want to say, I want you to just pause for a second. I want you to check in with your spirit here. When you hear this command. Be holy for I am Holy. What does it sound like to you? When you read that, what voice do you read it in? What intonation do you give it? How does your spirit react to hearing it? And I suspect that for some of you, when you hear be holy for I am holy, that voice sounds loud. It might even sound a little bit angry. You picture this command as coming from God who is sitting in heaven and who is watching you closely, waiting for you. And if you screw up, he's like, hey, hey, I told you to be holy. It's a, it, I don't think God sounds exactly like that. Just going to put that out there. Anyway. If that's you, okay, and even if it's not you, this still matters, you have to pay attention to what Peter says here. He says, as obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he called you to be holy, you shall be holy. That is the relationship that we have with God. God is not, in fact, a mean school principal. And sincerest apologies to any school principals in the room, who actually are right now saying, uh, "Mark, that's the vice principal's job." Thank you very much. But it, his job isn't to just like monitor your every move, right? He's your father, and he loves you. And so, when my kids make mistakes, I, I don't, I don't jump down their throats. I don't yell at them. I don't belittle them. I don't assume the worst of them. No, they're kids. Kids don't know, you don't know everything. Kids don't know everything. They're going to say, dad, I liked all of your sermon except for that part. Kids don't know everything. They're going to make mistakes. My job as a dad is to point out the mistakes and, and to lovingly correct the mistakes while maintaining the dignity of the person. And help them figure out how not to make that mistake again. Why? Because I love them. And I want what's best for them. And listen, if that's my approach as an imperfect human dad, how much more perfect when it comes from your heavenly father? For some of you, this is a sticking point. Because you don't understand a father who loves you. And that's hard. It is hard to reprogram that. But listen, God is not like your dad if you had a bad one. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to separate yourself from sin and to seek his glory because doing so means you're living in line with the truth, just like he is. That is best for you. It is. To live in light of what's actually true the other thing that i want you to see about this command here as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance is what peter says so when god says be holy for i am holy he knows that it's a process holiness is not just this switch right oops left the holiness off click there it goes Because if that was the case, you wouldn't need the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus, frankly, and you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you could do it on your own, you would be God. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance is what Peter says, and it's referring to these sinful and these selfish desires, these desires that are out of line with the truth of God, and those things governed our lives before we met Jesus. God is perfectly holy. We are not. As you seek God's holiness, as you do that, as you seek to separate yourself from sin, sin's still going to be there. It's still going to be in your life, especially the things that you're most susceptible to. And you will still succumb to them from time to time. You will. The key, though, is trajectory. Which one rules your life? When you struggle with sin, when you succumb to it, the question is whether you're going to conform your life to it then. And if the answer is no, then the thing is you need to give yourself grace. One of the things I find most challenging about talking to Christians is that we are terrible at giving ourselves grace. Expect to stumble but keep your eye on the goal of holiness and separation from sin. And just allow the Holy Spirit to alert you to the times when you're slipping back into that conformity with your sin and say, ah, okay. I notice that I'm doing that, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen me so that I can turn again towards him. The, so the key here, and this is a little bit tricky, is that we need to strike a balance, right? So on the one hand, we can't be so perfectionistic about holiness that we end up like beating ourselves up over every transgression. Oh, man, I did it again. I'm so useless. On the other hand, though, we can't be so reliant on God's forgiveness that we take his command to pursue holiness for granted, right? And that's what Peter's getting at in this next section, verses 17 to 21, because as much as we can be amazed by God's incredible love, we also have to be amazed by his incredible power. So as Peter says, we are to conduct ourselves with fear. Again, really important we get that right. The living hope that we have in Jesus means we we don't need to fear God's eternal punishment. Jesus has taken care of that. But that doesn't mean that God lets us off the hook. Because as a good father, God will, in fact, discipline his kids. And we don't really like to talk about that part of him. We don't like to talk about that aspect of God's character. But we can't also just avoid it and say that we understand him. Again, though, what matters is the definition of the term. Because when I say discipline... Some of you will bring to mind something that you've experienced that was called discipline, but was actually cruelty. What we have to understand is that God's discipline is never cruel. You know what? You might feel like it is at the time. You might, why are you being so mean to me? But it's not cruel, it's always loving. And because God is holy, because he is without sin, because he seeks his own glory, his discipline is always for our good. God will correct us. He will rebuke us. But he will not forsake us. That's the key. I would like to talk about discipline a lot more. I don't have time to. This is probably an entire sermon. For me, it would be an entire sermon series because that's the way I am. Um, But I just want you to have the right idea about it. The point here, though, is if we want to pursue holiness, to separate ourselves from sin, to seek God's glory, then we will welcome God's correction. We will welcome his discipline because his discipline is destined, is designed to help us do exactly that. God, I want to pursue your glory. I want to separate myself from sin, but I don't want your discipline. That does not work. Okay. This is what we're doing. What we are doing is we are pursuing holiness. Be holy for I am holy. That's what the living hope in Jesus, that's the first thing it brings. The first aspect of transformation is we are freed up to pursue holiness. That's great. Um, How? Because I don't know about you. I I don't know how to be perfectly holy. I don't know how to separate myself from sin. I don't know how to seek God's glory. I I need someone to teach me about it, and we all do. So how do you learn to be holy? How do you learn those things, to separate yourself from sin, to seek God's glory? And, And you might have a couple of answers that come to mind, right? You think to yourself, well, I have my daily quiet time with God. I do journaling. I'm I'm praying for you if you're doing journaling. I don't understand you. Doesn't make sense to me. It's fine. We are we are all different people. We seek the Lord in different ways. Journaling is not gonna be one of the ways that I ever do it anyway. Sometimes I wonder, like, can God actually read my handwriting? Like it's 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 very poor. Anyway. We have a daily quiet time, we journal, we pray. You read Christian books. These, these are Good things, fantastic. But they're not the answer. So doing those things help you understand who God is more, sure, yeah, and and they help you understand a little bit who you are, but they're not the classroom for holiness. And, and Peter says what the classroom for holiness is in the rest of this passage. The short version too long didn't read, it's the church. The church is the classroom for, For holiness. The community of God's people is where you learn holiness. And and that should come as no surprise to us. It came as no surprise to Peter, right? Like last week David talked about Peter's faith journey. One of the formative moments in Peter's life is when Jesus, in response to Peter's confession of faith in him, said, "Uh, Now your name is Peter. Your name is Rock. And on this rock I will build, what? My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it on this rock i will build my church not on this rock i will build a bunch of strong individuals go get them the church is god's plan there's not another plan the church is god's plan We don't learn holiness on our own. We learn it together. And we do that in three ways that Peter describes here. So the first thing is we learn holiness by loving one another. Verse 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So when we desire to obey God and pursue his holiness, this is what Peter means in the first part of that sentence, then the spirit enables us to love one another. And the kind of love that we show one another is is that earnest love. It flows from a pure heart. It's not the fake love where you put on your best smile when you come in and you ask people how they are even though you frankly don't really care. But here's the thing, it, it's, it's actually possible to practice an earnest love. To walk in and say to someone, hey, how are you doing? And find that you actually do care about it. The answer matters to you. And Peter says at the beginning of chapter 2, you put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. There's no place for those in the community of God's people because all of those things involve falsehood. They involve inauthenticity and when love is genuine when it is earnest it is authentic and it is honest and i have to tell you northridge man that's the kind of love that i see here and, and sure i haven't i haven't been here forever we've been here for just over a year but man it feels good and, and the thing is, it's not, we, we don't have this earnest love because we're just a bunch of really amazing people that happen to get together in the same place. Okay, we are a bunch of amazing people who happen to get together in the same place. But that's, that's not the main reason, okay, is what I'm saying. The main reason is Jesus. Because what we all understand here is that we share this living hope. And that hope has allowed us to be authentic and to be genuine with one another and to show love. The good news has been proclaimed to us. And so now we're part of something that's imperishable. So we learn holiness by loving one another. The second way we learn holiness is nestled in kind of a bit of a strange way. It's when Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So not actual milk. Milk is good for you. Please drink milk, I suppose. Um, But it's not that good. What Peter's talking about here is he's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the Bible. The Bible is the living word of God. It is more than just words on a page written many years ago. The writer of the Hebrews says that the, the word of God is, is living and active. It is the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit to his people, irrespective of where or when they happen to live. And that's why, that's why these words written by Peter 2,000 years ago can still speak freshly to us today. Because the same Holy Spirit of God who breathed these words is the one who resides in your heart. And he'll make that connection. But the word of God is only nourishing to those who know its value, what Peter says in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You can't benefit from the word of God if you haven't experienced the spiritual transformation that the Holy Spirit brings about. You can read it, but it's not going to mean anything to you. But when you experience God's goodness, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the Word of God takes on this entirely new dimension. The Word of God is a nourishing meal for believers. So when we consume the Word, He speaks to us, He encourages us, and He helps us to grow in our holiness and our separation from sin and our seeking of His glory. And yes, you can read the word on your own. This is good. You can listen to it being read. These are good things. But remember, this is about community. This is about the church. And there is something special, which just seems like not a good enough word. There is something special about hearing the word of God proclaimed in the community of God's people. Because the reality is, you're not a reliable interpreter of the word of God. Neither am I on my own. Because when you read the Bible on your own, that that's a good thing, right? But the trap you can fall into is, is hearing in it what you already want to hear. Not what God truly wants to say. When you're on your own, when you're reading the Bible with no input, input from others, right, it's really easy to think, man, thanks, God, you're affirming every decision I make. Huh. I am so holy. And it's, it's, please don't clip that. Um, It's really easy to cherry pick the parts of the Bible that sound good to us. But when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we gather together even within the context of community groups, we hear the word proclaimed, we come face to face with the parts we might not want to hear. And that's where the growth happens. So please don't hear me saying that David's voice or my voice or anyone else up who stands up here and holds the mic, please don't hear me saying that our voices are the Spirit's voice. right? We're humans. We're not always going to get it right. But even in our shortcomings, the Spirit works. One of the most incredible things to me about being a teaching pastor is when I would preach a sermon and someone would say to me, hey, Mark, thanks for that sermon. I really liked it when you said this. And I'm like, that is not what I said. (laughs) Which sermon were you listening to? But it's what the Spirit says to people. The point is this. In order to grow in holiness, we need spiritual nourishment. In order to separate yourself from sin to seek God's glory, you can't just read the Bible on your own and say, yep, I totally understand this. You need other people to say to you, hey, listen, you know, we were reading that passage of scripture there, and I was thinking about your life, and I'm wondering, is that convicting you? And you're like, awkward, cool, great, because we sharpen each other anyway. You need nourishment, and that nourishment comes from the word of God. So we learn holiness through loving one another. We learn holiness through the word. Last way we learn holiness in community is in this last bit of the the passage here. We learn holiness by living together as the temple of God, by becoming the temple of God. This part is so rich with Old Testament imagery. Especially in verses 4 and 5, Peter says that as we come to Jesus, we are being built into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Super important piece of theology here. Because for the entirety of God's interaction with people through history up until this point when Peter is writing, well, just before when Peter was writing, the offering of sacrifices was restricted to particular priests who had to descend from a particular family lineage but Jesus changed that, right? His death and resurrection, they opened up a new and living way for everyone to have direct access to the Father without need for a priest to mediate that interaction. But this is where it gets interesting. Again, I find this so fascinating because there is an individual aspect to our faith. Yes, we all have direct access to the Father through the Holy Spirit by the intercession of Jesus, Our individual access to the Father isn't isn't just for our benefit. It's for the benefit of the church. So the New Testament talks a lot about spiritual gifts. We did a sermon series on it back in the fall. That same idea is present in the subtext here. Your relationship with the Father, the, the relationship you have with God, is not the same as mine. It's the same in that we have the same Father. But your journey is very different. Your life circumstances are different. How you've come to this moment here right now is different from how I have come to this moment here right now. Your unique gifts, your unique personality, your unique journey has been given to you as a gracious gift of God so that you can use it to help build the temple of God. And when we do that, we are just more than the sum of our parts. When we bring everything we have into the community of God's people, we hear God's voice more clearly, we understand him more fully. And one of the ways that happens is that living together as the temple of God gives us the courage that we need to obey, thereby pursuing holiness. When obedience seems really hard, even when it seems crazy, in verses 7 and 8, Peter quotes some scripture about this. Those who don't know Jesus will think that obedience is foolish. And if we're not connected to the community of God's people, we too could start to be influenced by those criticisms. I don't know if you've ever done something, you're like, I think God is calling me to do this, and I think i got to obey him. And you tell someone, and they're like, wow, you're crazy. And then all of a sudden, that that sense that seems so sure oh, well, maybe that's not what I heard God say, right? When we are connected to God and each other through the church, those worries slip away, right? Because we get reminded of who we are. And who we are is here in verses 9 and 10. I'm going to camp on this for a minute here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We pursue holiness, our separation from sin and our pursuit of God's glory, by living in the identity that he has given us. We are a chosen race we are a royal priesthood we are a people for his own possession we have been called out of darkness we are God's people we have received mercy when we understand that Peter says we will understand that the purpose of our lives then is to proclaim the excellencies of God to give him glory And you might recall from literally everything I've said before this, that pursuit of God's glory is what holiness is all about, right? So we come full circle. Knowing about our living hope in Jesus makes us want to pursue holiness. As we pursue holiness in the context of community, we become acutely aware of our identity in Christ, which gives us the courage and the boldness to pursue holiness. What a great cycle. And what I want you to see is, like, none of this is your work. None of this is yours. This is all God's. When God says, be holy, for I am holy, he is not just adding another thing to your task list. He's not threatening us. He's not nagging us. He is just reminding us. This is what is already true. The truth is that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God has given us everything we need to obey him, to experience his blessing. Gang, the call is pretty clear here, right? Pursue holiness. That is our job as disciples of Jesus. It's to bring ourselves into alignment with the truth, to separate ourselves from sin, to seek God's glory just as he does. Because everything we need, he's given us all of these things to bring together in the context of the community of God's people and pursue holiness. So the question is whether you're going to believe that. Do you believe it? And I got to tell you, this has been hard for me to believe, especially coming out of burnout. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You were, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm like, who are you even talking about? Because I felt like a complete failure. I felt like I dropped the ball. I never set out to be the last pastor of a church. At my worst points, I felt that I had just disqualified myself completely from participation in the kingdom. I didn't feel chosen. I felt like God was, like, choosing people, and I happened to be standing in the way of his point. And instead of doing the thing of, like, oh, you mean him, I was like, cool. A royal priesthood, ha. Nothing royal about me, not worth anything at all, actually. Here's what changed that. The Spirit's work, yes. The hours of counseling, the hard work that I did to look inside and to try to wrestle with these things, but I got to tell you, none of that would have been effective without this community. Steph and I were talking about this yesterday and and we can't understate the importance of this. My recovery was going okay. It was okay, but it felt like it had stalled. And then we connected at Northridge. And all of a sudden, things started turning around. It's almost like the church, the community of God's people is God's plan. But being able to come here and to be accepted just as I am, just as we are, has been a really significant turning point in my recovery. So I wanna say thank you to you for just letting us be the people that we are and find our way back. And the reality is that, that some of you here today, you're where I was a few months ago. Because you don't believe you have value. And you don't believe that you are chosen. You listen to all of this and you think like I did a little while ago, oh well, God must be talking about someone else. Because you think your past past disqualifies you you hear be holy for I am holy and you're like I can't I can't I'm too far gone it's just never gonna happen and you're right it, it's it's not gonna happen the same way as someone else but please don't think it's never going to happen so if, if that's you today and, and you don't want to just listen to my testimony about it then I want you to consider for a sec here Who wrote these words? Under the Holy Spirit's direction, but who wrote these words? Who wrote this book? Peter. If anyone ever had a reason to believe that he had disqualified himself from the kingdom, it was Peter. And I have to tell you, as I think about Peter's life, as a person with ADHD, I feel like we're on the same team. I feel like we're part of the ADHD squad because there's a lot about him that resonates with me, right? So Peter's the guy who saw Jesus walking out across the water towards a boat, and he's like, cool, ask me to do it too. And then he got out of the boat, and he started to walk on water, and he's like, oh, squirrel. And then he, and then he starts to sink, right? Right? Peter is the guy who, when Jesus said, listen, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. Peter's like, listen, Jesus, don't talk like that, man. That's that's not what's going to happen. He actually starts to rebuke Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Ooh. And And that's only a few verses after Jesus is like, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Peter is the guy who in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is about to be arrested, when everybody comes, he's like, wait, I've got a sword. And he cuts off someone's ear. What an ADHD thing to do. Peter is the guy who's like, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. Never, 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 never. Denies him three times. Who we are on the same team me and Peter anyway by all accounts Peter's pursuit of holiness was a complete and abject failure not just once but time and time and time again but here's the thing despite all of that Peter received mercy Jesus built his church And and Peter, like me and I hope like you, rediscovered his relationship with Jesus and the kingdom through the church. Man, if you think you're too far gone for God to want you, you're wrong. Because if you belong to Jesus, if if you've heard his story, if you believe that it's true, then everything Peter says here, this is about you and this is where being a grammar and syntax nerd is like super helpful because verb tense is really important. You are a chosen race. You are A royal priesthood you are a holy nation you are a people for his own possession you have been called out of darkness you are part of god's people you have received mercy none of this is conditional and none of it's in the future it's not one day you're going to receive mercy so hold on tight pal Play your cards right. One day, you might receive some mercy. No. You have received mercy. You are part of this royal priesthood. You are. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and that's the power of the gospel. That's what it's about. That's the story that Jesus is telling. It's the story that you're part of. It's the story that we are part of together. And so may we be a people who believe in that story. May we be a people who pursue holiness, not by just trying harder to get it, but by living in light of what is already true. May we be a people who proclaim the excellencies of the God who called us, who saved us, who continues to show us mercy upon mercy, that he may be glorified in his church by the power of the Holy Spirit, making the name of Jesus famous. And I just invite you to pray with me to that end. Father, our... Each of us here comes from a a, a different spot on our journey with you. And our stories aren't the same. Our realities aren't the same. But the one thing we have in common is that we share this living and imperishable hope in Jesus. And I I pray at this moment for those who are in this room who are like, "I'm, I'm not sure I know that living hope, but I'd like to. Holy Spirit, that you may change hearts. For those of us whose hearts are aligned with you, but who have maybe allowed them to become dull, who believe because of whatever reason that, that we're just lesser. Holy Spirit, we just need to hear you say that is not true. And I thank you so much for this community. More so, Jesus, I thank you that this community is your plan. That what you say in Scripture about your church is true and it works. And I know that for me, my burnout was enforced upon me and, and everything I felt, that I thought I knew about myself was stripped away. But what I'm inviting for you to do right now, each of us in here, is to really just take down the things that you think holiness is. All the, the scaffolding that you've built around it. If you If you take all that away, and you get back down to what your identity is, that you are a loved child of God. And that holiness is about separating yourself from sin and seeking his glory, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to do that if you take all of the pretense away, if you take everything else away. And what you're left with is just this The sense of the Spirit's presence in your life. That's the humility you need to step forward. And so, Father, I pray for that humility in our spirits. And as we sing Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would speak to our spirits that you remind us of what is true that whatever needs to be done, whatever business needs to be conducted in here right now, that you are going to do that for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As a pastor, I, I... Frequently would sit during the last song and try to figure out which passage of scripture I was going to speak over over the congregation as a blessing. And then I realized that actually there's one in particular that I just use all the time now. Uh, and it's not written by an Irish writer. Sorry. I'm. Have I disqualified myself from Northridge? It's okay. All right. Anyway. It's been good to, to be with you today. I, I appreciate you. Being patient with me as I shake the rust off, and so I'll just speak over you the words that the Lord instructed Aaron to speak over the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.